The Axe of the Blood God. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Acts of Blood God, U.S. Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. With me today is our guest host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, hello. And uh, we're going to have also a special guest in the second segment. His name is Brian Weedai, and he runs a site called Pasta Padre because we're going to be talking about sports games as RPGs. Oh, boy. In- that- that sounds right up your alley. <laughs> yeah, uh, just a little bit, right? Uh, bit. In the second segment, we do actually bring up Pocket Card Jockey. Oh, nice. Yes, I, I managed to get a, a reference of that in there. Also, Captain Subasa. <laughs> he had no idea what the hell I was talking about. But that doesn't matter. Uh, oh, we're also going to be talking about a little bit about Persona 5. Um, we're going to be talking about Dragon Quest on mobile. And we're going to be talking about Wasteland 3, which was just announced. Yes. Like, literally, as we were starting to record this podcast. <laughs> that so. is really good timing. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. You gave us something to talk about. <laughs> yeah, we had to cancel the uh, the flagship pod earlier this week because we were like, huh, oh, we already talked about uh, like most of the big stuff that's coming out this week, and there's no real news. Yeah, hmm, everyone's interesting. asleep this week. I mean, I guess we could have uh, done like some podcasts and talked about wrestling for three hours. Yeah, I could have done that. Yes, let's let's take shots at like the competition that's like eight times bigger than we are. But. <laughs> I can talk wrestling, like kind of. I can fake it. Whoa, you can talk wrestling? A bit, yeah. Oh man, you know I don't really watch wrestling or care about wrestling, but I can also fake talk about it too. Yeah, it's like my husband's really into it, and I kind of absorb uh, a lot through osmosis. So, a lot of the people that I know are like super into it, so they're always going on about these people, and I'm like, yes. <laughs> Storylines, <laughs> heels, and baby faces. Yes. Is Hulk Hogan still a thing? Yes, he is. Uh, is he? Well, I know that he brought down Gawker. Good job, Hulk. He wishes he was still, like, you know, the Hulkster. He never quite grew out of that mentality. Yeah, well, you know, when you make an entire career out of it, it kind of becomes you, right? It, like, oh, stops yeah. being a character, you become that character. Just ask Mr. T. <laughs> I pity the fool. Yes, he has been subsumed. But uh, speaking of becoming a character, Persona 5... Uh, I've been playing it. So last week, uh, we had Elliot Gay on the podcast to talk about the import version of Persona 5. He's like 40 hours into it. I ended up importing it myself. I streamed it on Tuesday. Um, And uh, so, yeah, I'm a couple hours into it. And, you know, I can barely understand, like, my Japanese is really rusty, Nadia. I, 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 well, you, you're, you've got a leg up on me because I understand no Japanese except I can recognize the word Mega Man and Rockman <laughs> even, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, I can, um, I, I can understand just enough, but even like my basic kanji is like really breaking down, which is super unfortunate. Mm. Uh, and this game is kanji freaking heavy. I guess but, it would be, yeah. Yeah, but even with, even with that, I'm actually, it's already got its hooks in me a little bit. Oh, but like, I I just get so frustrated when I'm playing a game, especially a story-heavy game like Persona, and I can't understand what the hell is going on. That makes me (laughs) so mad. So kudos to you for even trying. I mean, I can understand what's going on. Like, the context is kind of enough, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, when they're standing in a strange... In uh, what is supposed to be the school that they're going to, and they're surrounded by like guys with axes, 
and they're like going what the hell uh i I think that's pretty apparent like what's going on i can kind of get it from context you know fight or die there are your choices and thankfully the actual menus are mostly in english oh good i mean the selecting the selecting a spell is not in english like the spells are in japanese um, but you have a helpful little icon that tells you if it's going to be a physical or a uh, kind of more of a ma- elemental attack which is very helpful um oh, okay and like gun and persona <laughs> and uh, attack like those are all in english mm-hmm. so you're you're kind of doing okay on that front so you're getting by you're killing everyone who needs to be killed and sparing everyone who should probably stay alive yes exactly uh so Yes, I know that you have not played Persona, but... Um. No, but I was thinking, you know what, um, I was talking to my husband about this, and um, as you know, uh, or maybe some of the listeners know as well, I'm going for surgery in, in November, and I'll be out of commission for a little bit, and I was thinking, you know what, uh, maybe I'll buy a Vita, and I'll, I'll buy Persona 4, for God's there you sake. Go. Yeah, get <laughs> Persona 4 Golden, that can be your homework, and then in January, like we can like talk about it, and you can just keep giving us regular updates on your Persona Four progress. Yes, that sounds like a good idea. <sighs> all right, Nani, you're gonna really like this series. Like, I, I can't so. believe you haven't played it yet. Yeah, all my friends are like super into it, and I'm just like, Ugh. I got like I said, even the, the the girl who sells me my cat food is just like every time I see her, she's always Persona Five, Persona Five. Oh my god, I got <laughs> delayed. I want to kill myself. <laughs> uh, but Persona Five, um, it does start about as slowly as persona 4 does Mm -hmm. um so it as elliot was telling us it does start in media res um it does start much later down the line in the story and that's pretty fun Mm -hmm. um you're like hopping across chandeliers and like people are like gasping and pointing (laughs) um there's a brief battle like there's a lot of tutorial stuff yeah um and then you get arrested oh boy and uh, they start interrogating you, and that's when you start telling the story. Oh, cool. I like yeah. that. So uh, I I think, like, that's the setup for the story, so I don't think it's really, like, context. Or I don't think it's really spoilers to say no, this. But I don't think so. if you if you don't want to hear about the first, like, 30 minutes to an hour of the game, then maybe stop listening right now. Um, but then afterward, you, like, go back and of course, as we were discussing on the previous podcast, like your character has committed a crime and he has been kind of shipped off. You're living like above a coffee shop mm-hmm. and uh, you're starting school and everything. And you've got this weird logo on your phone that just will not go away. <laughs> it's like it, it's like it's downloaded this annoying app and it keeps going. Well, that's what happens when you surf for porn on your phone and you don't have a, a proper antivirus. Like, uh, the InfoWars guys are just like, aha, at last, the Illuminati, the, the connection right here, Persona 5 is a vehicle for the Illuminati or something. Or it's trying to tell us that we are all under control, wake up, sheeple, etc. So, but you you eventually uh, are, it, it kind of picks up about eh, 45 minutes in when you are heading to school and instead you find a castle. <laughs> well, that's a bit of a, a trek off the beaten path. Yes, and uh, I, I think he's your gym teacher. He's, like, wearing, like, uh, workout stuff. Um, is, like, well, he's wearing, like, a king's outfit uh, with nothing underneath. Like, the king's <laughs> kind of, like, cape with nothing underneath and a crown. Uh, he's a little bit crazy. 
Um, he's wearing a bikini. Yeah, I don't oh, question. And I'm not going to question it. Uh, and you're like going, what is going on? And that's when the Persona stuff starts to awaken. And I got to say, this game is so beautiful. That, yeah, even just looking at like what, what's been released so far, screenshots, trailers, etc. It's, it's a good looking game. It doesn't really do it justice uh, no, when you're actually playing it. Like, especially in the battles, um, even like a simple action, like, like the way that you attack an enemy is just like, it looks really cool, right? It, mm-hmm. It's super engaging. And the way that it will shift into a battle is so fluid and so attractive. The way that the post-battle stats appear is so fluid and attractive. Like this, this UI is pretty much sex. <laughs> I just want to say that it, it really is. I'm just like drooling the entire time. I, I really appreciate games that put like the, the all those little details and pay so much attention to them. And and Elliot wasn't wrong. Like the uh, like I'm basically in the first dungeon. Like the first portion of the game is kind of figuring out what the heck is going on with this castle thing mm-hmm. and what is going on. And like you meet the Morgana, the the little cat uh, avatar. Oh. And and uh, it, it's a lot more interesting than the the was it not the Tartarus I I don't know the the big the big tower from Persona Three um, mm-hmm. and the the various theme dungeons in Persona Four like they are a lot more you you can definitely see that the actual environments aren't as interesting as the characters to look at mm-hmm. but it's still a hand created and. It's a little more, in, like, the map design is more engaging as a right. result. So, Sweet. Definitely looking forward to the translation, then, because I am not attempting it in Japanese. <laughs> yeah, I really need to just stop right now. Um, I kind of want to, I kind of want to finish the first arc, mm-hmm. just so that I can, like, say that I've finished the first arc and maybe, like, get some more video and write some more impressions, but... I'm pretty busy, and also, I think I'm on the review for this one, which is daunting to say the least, Yeah, so I've a... got plenty of time to play freaking Persona 5. <laughs> yeah, um, when is the translation coming out again? Do we have like a, a set release date? I don't remember. We do, February 14th. Oh, that's right, Valentine's Day. Yep. Sweet. Mm. Give your significant other the gift of Persona 5, right? Yeah, here you go, David. I'll be taking this back. Thank you. I can already tell that this game is going to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. It's coming out at the perfect time. It's coming out kind of in a dead period. It's coming out at the period of time when a bunch of Japanese games usually come out. It's going to be on the PS4 and the PS3. So a lot of people are going to be able to pick it up. This game has been anticipated for years now. It's going to have crazy good word of mouth. I think that this game is going to be a really big deal. And I can't wait. Uh, this is super exciting. Do you see Persona, uh, maybe even Persona 5, being the game that drives Persona like really into the mainstream the way that Final Fantasy VII did to uh, Final Fantasy? Honestly, I can't say because it's very anime. Oh, yeah. um, in that respect, it may that may limit its quote-unquote mainstream appeal. Mm-hmm. I mean, so is Final Fantasy, right? But yeah. Final Fantasy has like a real legacy to it. And for whatever reason, I think it's always had kind of a broad crossover appeal. Mm-hmm. Which I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's always gone for more of kind of a real life look in in a way. Um, 
it's always done like the in-engine cutscenes. It's never had, or it's rarely had actual hand-drawn anime stuff. That's true. And Persona, like, makes no bones whatsoever about being kind of a hand-drawn, very Japanese, very anime game. Yeah, I guess the whole point that it's set around a school, that just kind of says it all. Not only that, but it's like 100 hours. Yeah, that's true. And it... But on the other hand, you know, like, it's beautiful in, like, the Studio Ghibli kind of way, mm-hmm. right? Like, it is just a sight to behold and in that respect. And, of course, like I said, the word of mouth for this game is going to be gigantic. Yeah. So I think it will certainly do well. Uh, it'll be great for streaming. Yeah, I'm definitely rooting for it. Yeah, uh, I think we all are. Yes. <laughs> all right, Nadia. So uh, just as we already mentioned... Earlier today in the news, Wasteland 3 uh, Mm -hmm. will be kickstarted on October 5th. Uh, Wasteland 2 and Wasteland, of course, uh, created by Brian Fargo, who was also behind the Fallout series, if I recall correctly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Wasteland was kind of the precursor to the Fallout series. And Wasteland 2 was kind of hailed as a return to quote-unquote real Fallout, Mm -hmm. uh, which a lot of people... Uh, in the sense that you're in like a post-apocalyptic dystopian world you are making all kinds of interesting decisions that will affect the world around you uh, you can deal with situations in non-violent ways yeah. but at the same time you are well it's an rpg right so yeah there is definitely combat and it's a squad based game squad based rpg which is interesting uh, but yeah, so Wasteland 3, like we were looking at the screenshots, already looks way more attractive than Wasteland 2, which itself looks really good, but mm-hmm. was kind of more of that mid-2000s uh, kind of look. Yeah, it was very good for it. Uh, it was a kickstarted game, as I recall. And uh, yeah, for the budget it had, like that was, it looked good. But uh, 3 looks really nice. Yeah, it was the first wave. Wasteland 2 is the first wave of Kickstarter games. And if, if you can believe it, it's already been four years Jeez. Since Kickstarter really exploded. Yeah. Because uh, that was 2012, 20, early 2013. Yeah. <laughs> Same time as Mighty Number no. 9. <laughs> yeah. Gracious. Nadia's laughing, so she doesn't cry. <laughs> That's all I can do at this point. Uh, and Wasteland 3. Uh, so obviously, they're kickstarting again. Uh, and they were talking about how, like, the big donations in a lot of respects have dried up. But mm-hmm. it's uh, it's still quite possible to build a community. Really ambitious funding target. It's in excess of, like, $2 million. Yeah. Uh, and they're saying that they're going to also use some of the, like, $12 million that they made from just selling Wasteland 2 to also partly fund it. So they are really, like going all in on this game. This is not some little indie game, right? Yeah, you're right. And um, like I was saying to you earlier, that's kind of a nice example of a, a nice Kickstarter success. They made some money off the game they made, and they uh, are going to use some of those profits to make uh, a sequel. That That's very nice. I like that. Yeah, and waste, yeah, they're reinvesting it back into the actual games rather than kind of lining their pockets. Oh, right, which, yeah. hey, I'm never going to say that developers shouldn't be able to live well, okay? But. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> It is nice to see that 
the money that was donated is going to be reinvested into the project. Yes. And it sounds like they're really like kind of going uh, crazy on it. What were we going to say, Nadia? Oh, I was just going to say it's a nice, in this instance, it's a nice drama-free cycle because usually you hear about Kickstarter funds being misappropriated or, or vanishing into the ether or yeah. the, the game was a flop, so there's never going to be another one. But so, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to hear about this. Yeah, well, Wasteland 2 turned out to be pretty much what everybody wanted. Yeah. Um, Though I didn't get a chance to play that one because it came out at kind of a bad time. Um, so I um, I think that Wasteland 3 immediately appeals to me because there's snow. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about that, too. Uh, yeah. You, you miss snow, don't you? You're, you're all the way over there on the West Coast. Uh, in a way. Um, I, I miss snow in the sense that it's a novelty now. Um, exactly, yeah. I go visit snow and then I go home <laughs> when I'm done with it. That must be nice to visit snow and be like, goodbye, snow. I've had I've had enough time with you. I'm going back to the West Coast now. And meanwhile, in Toronto, I'm just like trying to wade through the snow that's up to my neck because I'm five feet tall. Yeah, it's like a really strong nostalgic element for me. Sort of like when I was playing Persona 5, just to quickly go back to Persona 5, like it's set in Tokyo, right? Mm-hmm. And you, it's so Tokyo, like... The first day of school, or the first real day of school, I guess. Like, it's just, it shows little cuts of your commute, right? Like, mm-hmm. you step out into an alley. I swear to God, I've seen that alley a million times in Japan <laughs> with that kind of coffee shop front a million times. Um, head to the train station. It cuts to you standing on the crowded train next to the guy who's holding up like a PS Vita. <laughs> um, uh, being all crushed inside popping out of the train, walking through the gates. <clears throat> um, it's raining out, so you got your umbrella. And I'm just like, oh, my God. It's like, r- memories rushing in. It's seasons. Yes, yeah, seasons, exactly. Well, oh, Tokyo's seasons are a little weird, but I digress. Uh, yeah, so Wasteland 3, I think the most intriguing thing is the multiplayer. Mm-hmm. Um, they are going for kind of a synchronous and asynchronous multiplayer thing <laughs> where, like, you can have your friends like taking care of quests for you, but also bringing about unintended consequences that <laughs> like you can pay off debts for your friends or you can just leave it be and like reduce your reputation from them. Uh, it sounds pretty interesting. Yeah. So like basically your friends can kind of screw up neighborly relations, I suppose. <laughs> and you got to kind of fix that. Yeah. If yeah. you want. Though if you want, you can boot out your friends and just go uh, to a different timeline. So yeah, that's, that's that, nice. That's a good option to have because if your friend is constantly trolling your neighbors and uh, you're constantly paying off like the tipped cows or whatever, then <laughs> that that would get costly after a while. Yeah, if your friend is like always just going around and shooting everybody up, <laughs> and you're just like, oh my god, uh, okay, like you're, I'm out of here. I don't like, want everybody to hate me. It's like uh, Game of Thrones with a uh, Drogon who's always eating people's goats and so uh, what's your name has to keep paying off the farmers <laughs> did you say this is game of thrones it just reminds me of it uh like i'm just kind of like you know just going by the bits and pieces i know about it i know that uh uh danny whatever her name is the mother of dragons she has the dragon drogon who keeps uh, around, yeah. screwing around like eating people's goats and what's not and pe- farmers are coming up to her saying hey your stupid dragon's eating my goats who's gonna pay for this oh i guess i am again you know, I'm actually caught up on Game of Thrones, but and, and sorry if people have been spoiled on this uh, on this Game of Thrones stuff. But 
I did not know that the dragons had names. I just knew them as Danny's dragons. Oh, like there's the big one and also the mean one and the flamey one. Oh, wait, that's all of them. The the big one's Drogon, the one who's an asshole and was always going around destroying things. Um, The other two, I forget their names. Something with an R and something with a V. Here's the thing about Game of Thrones and me. Uh, I go to YouTube and I look up the stuff with the dragons and I'm good. (laughs) That's just fair enough. She's like, I just want to see the dragons. Yep, I'm done. It's all good. Uh, but uh, another thing that, I mean, this is kind of a minor point that kind of caught my eye, but it sounds like they're going to be a lot more elaborate with their presentation. They're using XCOM, uh, Enemy Unknown as an example in mm-hmm. terms of breaking from the isometric perspective for actual cutscenes. Yes. Uh, that's kind of cool. Like, um, I, I think it brings you a little more into the story rather than just uh, clicking through the text with your isometric perspective. Yeah, so I didn't get to play two either, but uh, if you could just jump right into three, I might give that a try. Uh, of course, it's going to be a long time before we see it, but um, yeah, and give it has it, to get funded. Yeah, it has to get funded. Um, I, I'd say 2018, 2019. Yeah, so uh, the, whenever uh, um, Blood bloodline comes out blood stain comes out <laughs> yeah well star citizen will not be out by then <laughs> <laughs> we, we know this for sure i want to make a wager on that one star citizen will not be in full release by the time wasteland 3 comes out yeah we can count on that yeah but uh wasteland 3 uh planning on playing it kind of interested yeah yeah it, we'll have to see you know I, as my grandmother would say i should be alive by then but uh <laughs> you know if why not if the time's right sure yeah, well, Wasteland, of course, is a classic RPG, and I think one of the things that Kickstarter really did for the genre was that it kind of reversed, uh, or it didn't reverse the trend, but it gave a space for RPGs that were really dense and not as mainstream. Mm-hmm. It gave developers kind of a room to be extremely creative and play toward a particular niche. Yes. And... Fallout has gone more and more mainstream, and look, you can argue with whether or not it's too action-based, whether or not the quests aren't good enough, etc., mm-hmm. especially in Fallout 4, but it, it's very much, it's aiming for the widest audience possible, where Wasteland is aiming for hardcore, old-school RPG fans yes. who want to have a direct impact on the world, who want to be able to do quests in a lot of interesting ways, who want to kind of tell their own story. And I'm glad that there's room for both. Yeah, so am I. I'm really glad that we have those options. So there's no need to fight. Everyone can have what they want. Everybody just give each other a hug. It's okay. There's the Western RPG fans, uh, Eastern RPG fans, MMO fans, sports fans. Let's just all come in here. Let's give each other a hug. Are yes. we all good? Hold hands. Sing. Yes, hold hands. Sing. Uh, every- Let's buy the world a Coke. <laughs> I remember that commercial. All right. Uh, Okay. So Wasteland 3, the funding goes live on October 5th. So if you want to, if you're interested in that one, toss some money that way. I don't don't fund games anymore because, A, because I don't want the headache of having to review a game while saying that I backed it. Mm -hmm. And not that I really care. And B, um, I don't know, like I funded mighty number nine for $60 and I didn't even cash the freaking key that they gave me. So (laughs) that was worth it. I don't think I also, I also don't think I ever got my box art, but I don't care because the box art was pretty ugly. Yeah, it was awful. But uh, yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I rarely fund games. And uh, I, I, if a game comes out that's been kickstarted, I have no problem just buying it when I'm, when I'm interested. Yeah, no, I can wait for it to come out. Yeah. Uh, though, 
if uh if if they ever kickstart Valkyrie Profile Three, yeah, I'll kick in some money for that. I, I imagine you would. Yeah. All right. Okay, so uh, Nadia, we have a mailbag question today, Hooray! or not a mailbag question, kind of a response. Uh-huh. Um, so we were kind of ragging on Dragon Quest and Mobile the other day. Uh huh. Um, well, we have a defender here. Uh huh. So Sean Kirkland says, "Hey guys, love the show this week, and I wanted to write in to talk about Dragon Quest on Mobile. You guys were very quick to dismiss them, was as was I before I gave it a try. But I'm now 23 hours into Dragon Quest Five on my phone." In my current pace, it will be the first Dragon Quest of that game I've ever completed by the end of the week. Oh, good job. Oh, you, picked the first, you picked a good one, too. DQ5. Yes, you can't do better. Uh, Dragon Quest 4, 5, and 6 are all available as enhanced ports of the DS games. If you enjoyed playing, uh, enjoyed these, then you have already played a Qu- Dragon Quest game in portrait mode. Now you can play them without a hinge in the middle of the screen. <laughs> That's Not true. Not that portrait versus widescreen makes a difference since the games were designed to be played in 4.3. There is a really great cloud save feature, so I can switch between my phone and a tablet whenever I want, and the battle visuals look great on both. The only complaint I can see people having is with the virtual D-pad, but they made it very customizable, and I think it actually works quite well. The mobile ports are definitely worth playing. I think they are, get, they are overlooked because the port of Dragon Quest VIII was so over, underwhelming, but you can't go wrong with the first six games. They cost about as, half as much as the DS games. And the money will actually make its way back to the developer mm-hmm. as opposed to some guy on eBay. <laughs> Keep no, that's, on adventuring, Sean. That's uh, Thanks, Sean, for writing in. That's a great uh, letter. Yeah. Um, I will say, if you look up my reviews of Dragon Quest uh, for mobile, I think I, writ- I wrote several for at least GameZebo.com, if not other venues. I I agree with you. I Even though I might have ragged a bit on the mobile ports uh, in our last show when we talked about it, I am glad they exist, put it that way, because as you say, I didn't even consider that the developers are actually getting paid for their work directly. That's a good point. Thank you for bringing that up. But I am so pro Dragon Quest that I just want people to play it, period. And if that means they play it on mobile, then they play it on mobile. I am totally okay with that. Um, the virtual D-pad's a bit of a pain, and being stuck in portrait mode is, uh, is a bit of a pain, but... Uh, Definitely, if you have no other option, if your options are Dragon Quest on mobile or nothing, then definitely go for mobile, because I have I have certainly played worse mobile RPGs than the Dragon Quest adaptations. Absolutely. Um, well, Dragon Quest 8 was pretty bad. And Dragon Quest, but yeah, that's coming to 3DS anyway, and that's where it probably belongs. So Yeah, I think Dragon Quest 8 is a little bit <laughs> elaborate for a phone. Like, it was killing my battery. Yeah. And when I reviewed it at the time, I think I still had an iPhone 5. But yeah. uh, like the iPhone 5S hadn't even come out yet. And it, I think it was built for the 5S. Yeah, it was really just pushing even the 5. And that was a time when the 5, as you say, was still pretty new. Yeah, so uh, it was quite choppy. Uh, I have a 6S now, and I'm sure it would run fine. But, uh, but I don't I'm, think I'm just, Dragon Quest 8 is really ideal for that platform. No, I am just waiting for the... Um, the 3DS version of that game. And that's why I was actually very surprised when I heard... Because I was following Dragon Quest on mobile, of course, every release, and I was waiting for seven. I was waiting. What, I was thinking, what were they? What are they going to do with seven? But then, when it, I heard it was coming to 3DS and that was getting released in English, I was just like, "Oh, oh, that's great." Uh, my only complaint about the Dragon Quest mobile games that's like really significant is Dragon Quest three. I feel like they they could have done better for that because um, they went with like a feature phone port of the game and just kind of ported it over to smartphones. So you don't get 
animated enemy sprites, which you even have on the Game Boy Color. And anyone who's a fan of Dragon Quest knows that the animations that the monsters have are just incredible. So Yes, they're I, a lot of fun to look at. It gives them a lot yeah. of personality. So everything else about the port looks nice. The, the music's nice. The like little overworld graphics are nice. But just it, it feels like you could tell it's a feature phone game that they ported over. And that was a little disappointing because 3 is one of the best and it deserves the best. So this is what I will say about Dragon Quest on mobile. Once upon a time, I used to bring my DS with me everywhere. And, like, if I was on a train or something, I would break out my DS. Um, because, I mean, the alternative was to read a book or <laughs> God forbid. listen to music or stare into space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, my DS was my best friend on my commute uh, when I was living in Japan. Because I would just sit down on the train, hunker down, put on my headphones, and I was good to go for the next hour, mm-hmm. right? And I was just completely immersed in these games. Well, times have changed, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, now, like, I barely bring my 3DS anywhere. It, it feels a little weird to break out my 3DS in public, <laughs> which is, uh, unless I'm at a gaming event. Um, I, I don't play it on the bus like I used to. In, like, 2011, I used to play my DS all the time on the on the, on the the bus to work. Mm-hmm. And... So, but I always have my phone with me, right? Yeah. And a lot of people are the, kind of the same way. And it's just a lot easier and more seamless to just like jump into uh, an RPG or like some game on your phone and play it that way. And I don't blame people uh, for wanting to tackle the series that way. No, and I, spe- I think especially for people who are maybe a little bit younger, say who grew up with smartphones, mm-hmm. which is a weird thing to say, um, that is like a much more natural way to play the series. And then you can play it on your on your tablet. You can play it on your phone. And like that is a great way to experience the series because as Sean and you were saying, the ports are really good. So yeah. except for eight. <laughs> except for eight. But um, uh, if, you, if you sat me down in a room and said, Nadia, would you rather play Dragon Quest uh, on 3DS or on iPhone, then I would, I would pick 3DS every time. I will admit mm. that. But to repeat myself, uh, Dragon Quest on mobile is far better than dra- no Dragon Quest at all. Absolutely. And if you haven't played these games, just go play them. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe start with four uh, and then four, five, and six. And then if you really like those, go back to one, two, and three. I would even but, argue three is not a bad place to start, but uh, it's not I'm terrible. Different. Yeah, but it still has that kind of eight bit gloss. It definitely, so. it definitely does come across as retro. Uh, four, like even though four came out on the Famicom, it if maybe because it came out on the DS, it felt a little more modern than one, two, and three. Yeah, it was very ambitious for its time, and it's it still holds up quite well. But uh, four is not one of my favorites. Uh, honestly, if, if you were to like. Give me a, like rec- ask me for a recommendation. I definitely say f- start with five. Uh, yeah, I would start with five too because that's where I started, and I am biased. <laughs> All right, Sean. Thanks for writing in today. Um, and if you want to comment on our topics, feel free to write us in at cat.bailey at usgamer.net or send me a PM over on the site. If I find your email interesting, I will read it on the show and we will discuss it. And yeah, uh, and so do that. Yes, and please. in the meantime, I think we're going to move on and we're going to go to the next segment, which is the discussion of sports games as RPGs with Brian. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. 
All right, I am here with today's special guest, Brian Weedai, also known as Pasta Padre, um, who is best known for his coverage of the sports game genre. Um, we go a few years back, having appeared together on the Hit the Pass podcast, and before that, the Press Row podcast. Brian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kat. Excited to be on and talk a little bit uh, with a with a different audience. I, I guess it's uh, yeah, very, very different. Uh, usually, we're talking about Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest and Fallout on this podcast, but as yeah. it turns out, uh, sports games a little bit closer to uh, the RPG genre than you might expect, and I, I, I think that it goes double for this year. Um, so this year, as you know. Um, FIFA is introducing a story mode, and it's called The Journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, FIFA 17 came out this week, and it introduces a character named Alex Hunter on his quest to go through the Premier League. Yes. And uh, I found it pretty interesting because it borrows a lot from the RPG genre. Uh, out, of, out of curiosity, have you had a chance to play The Journey, and, and what did you think? Yeah, I'm a couple hours into the journey. I haven't gotten as far as I want to. I'm still working towards a review for that game. But uh, yeah, you know, it is. You mentioned in one of our podcasts that they took a bit of a different approach than the story mode you find in the NBA 2K series. And, And I see that because it is you're basically playing through someone else and through their, you know, uh, no pun intended, their journey, right? Through, yeah, from, right. from when they were a child and d- dreamed of reaching a certain uh, level of play and, and, and then going up in the ranks towards that and joining one of the Premier League teams and getting to be, you know, play out these moments within it and deal with all the drama that, that comes along with it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's an interesting take on, on the story mode or on the more traditional career-type mode where you're building up your character and now you're within a narrative, a larger narrative. And uh, I think that's really become a, a popular way to go about uh, presenting these modes lately. Yeah, in the past, we've always... It's, they've, they've always been more like simulators, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you would have tons of stats and you would be manipulating rosters and everything. But this is the first time that you've like, I mean, I mean, okay, the journey isn't the first time, but it's only been within the past couple years that we've really started to get into actual role playing. Mm-hmm. And as somebody who's been following the sports genre for many years now, I'm curious, why do you think it's only just now that we've started to get into this kind of territory that feels so natural for sports games. Yeah, you, you know, with sports games, I think for, for many years, there was a traditional way that they were built. There was a traditional uh, certain content within the games that you found in pretty much all of them. You had the franchise modes and online modes, and lately that's branched out to the ultimate team, the team building, card collecting modes, and then these story modes. And I think it's... A, a technological thing they can do a lot more with the with the story i mean we do have past examples of stories in in, in sports games i mean you can go back to ncaa well not ncaa football but they did have the career mode which kind of had some of these elements but story modes in blitz the league and nba 09 the inside um, so it, those kind of predate or or um, established that kind of mode and then now you see these companies which have uh, a great level of resources at, at their disposal because they're making so much money through other other means, not even just selling the game, but through uh, digital content that they can now fund uh, 
these type of things where they are bringing in motion capture actors and they're they're really bu- building out and fleshing out these modes and they're hiring the likes of Spike Lee to do them for them. Yeah. Um, and it's a it's a great way also to promote the game. I think there's there's two two major points to these modes and that's the first is they can really promote them. I mean, if you look at mm-hmm. how is FIFA being promoted this year, a, a great percentage of it is based around the story mode around being this character of alex hunter uh of playing through his journey if you look at nba 2k their story mode uh, encompasses a lot of their marketing but also it's it's a good way to onboard people who aren't necessarily experts on these games we talk about how complicated sports games can be to someone who uh is new to them and these you're playing as one character makes things easier. You don't have to control five on a basketball court. You don't have to control 10 or 11 uh, uh, on the pitch in soccer. But uh, you can get in there and you can play as one character, just focus on what that one character has to do and still feel like you're achieving something. So I I think they're accomplishing multiple things with these story modes and and with the role-playing elements within them. Yeah, and it's something that's immediately understandable, right? I mean, versus say, oh, God, what, what I'm worrying about the oh. Rule 5 draft, and yeah. I'm like <laughs> having to manage this stupid salary cap, and what is going on, as opposed to this character is starting off at the very bottom, and his goal is to become the greatest soccer player or something. Yeah. Oh, okay, I, I can grapple with that. Like, everybody understands that implicitly. It's been the subject of a billion sports movies, yeah. and it's just like really solid fodder for a sports game and in terms of the rpg element like it fits in perfectly with you know like kind of this gamey element of growth right Mm -hmm. like watching your stats go up um steadily kind of rising in level in fifa it's characterized as an overall right i mean you're like you start off as like 60 some overall and your goal is to get into like the 80s and maybe into the 90s And the way that that happens is that there's kind of a, I guess you could call it a tech tree, right? Um, under various categories. So you have like the dribbling, uh, you you have the um, the defense, you have stamina, you have pace and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And you get skill points as you're playing and you can apply those to the different abilities. Yep. And this is very, uh, this is very RPG-ish. And, and it's something that sports games have had for a little while now. But meshing that in with a sport with an actual story mode is just kind of a perfect fit. Yeah, yeah, and you kind of bounce back and forth between the, the the two sides of things. And like you said, yeah, you're working on increasing your ratings through playing well in the matches, and uh, and and then you know how how you do in these drills in between the matches. Also, uh, plus there's the element of they have like this conversation system where. You're going to be interviewed and asked questions, or you're going to be talking with teammates or whoever it might be, and they give you a way to respond to it, right? And so you can respond in in FIFA. It's you know, are you fiery or are you cool or you can have a balanced option. Uh, so you have these different type of responses, and that influences your relationships with with the players, with the managers, with the fans. So there's so many different things going in there. Plus, like you said, you're working just on your ratings, and there's also like a skill tree where you can kind of select what type of bonuses you want for your player and and things of that nature for what they actually do for you. So, yeah, there's a ton <laughs> there's a ton of stuff going on in these modes, but at the same time, like you said, it's it's kind of simplified. 
in a way that you can actually learn as you're going through this. And they build it that way, I think, to be accessible, to be, hey, you know, these drills are going to teach you to be better in the actual games. Once you get experience in the games, you're going to get better there. And once once you do that, you're going to be building the character up where you can do more fantastical things on mm-hmm. uh, out there. So I think it's a it's a mix that really works well for sports games, and uh, and you see the the way consumers respond to it as well. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the the conversation choices mm-hmm. because in the grand scheme of things, they're not like overly they're not overly impactful, but uh, it defines like well uh, among other things it defines like how your manager sees you and how much will how much more willing they are to actually play you uh w- which is kind of cool because if you're if you're not doing super well and your manager doesn't trust you they're not going to start you they shouldn't yeah. <laughs> makes sense right yeah. um but if you keep going with fiery like the little bar will go up past fiery and alex will start kind of sounding like um, maybe a little bit of a tiny bit of a diva uh in his responses um uh, which i like I, I like that or you can go to where he's like ice cold like ice man yeah. so <laughs> yes i was just doing the little the bitey thing but yeah. um so i i think that in a way they kind of got that from say like mass effect and that kind of thing mm-hmm. because uh, the EA has done that sort of thing in the past, and there's a lot of technology sharing going on. So this one kind of interesting example, uh, maybe more subtle, of a sports game borrowing outside of its established world. And, and we're now at a point where like the, the tools are universal enough uh, that they can like really kind of go outside the established genre and start borrowing elements from other genres. And that's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's when a lot of people think of sports games, right? It's, it's not, they, they just figure everybody gets the game. They go online or everybody gets the game and they play the, the franchise mode where you're controlling the team and you're going through multiple years. But yeah, there's so there, there's so much that goes into these sports games that, that a lot of people don't realize. And, and it is, it is, RPG, even even in the sense of controlling a team and not just a player, there's so many decisions you have to make that influence so many other different things. And they do branch out and they do borrow ideas from other genres. And and it's uh, it's impressive, really, on a yearly basis, because once again, they're doing these year to year to year, as opposed to many of the games you've mentioned, take two to three years, really, to, to build out. And so, you know, they, they have the base that they can work on, but um, they do a lot in a year. And uh, you start to see that over time, and and this is where really where where it's evolved to now. So this is what I'm kind of worried about. I'm kind of worried that they're going to say, "Well, that's good enough," and we're going to get the same story of Alex Hunter and so? like subsequent FIFA's going forward. Really? Well, yeah, I mean, because uh, it's it's a pretty it, it's a uh, I mean it's an arc. That just seems like it's like, okay, that's that one arc. Sure. And their explicit goal with this was to kind of onboard people, right? To kind of make it a FIFA boot camp. Mm -hmm. And it kind of makes me wonder if they're just going to go, well, we're just going to keep bringing it back year after year. And if they do that, that's going to be a real mistake, I think. Yeah, I would be surprised if they did that just because NBA 2K has already set kind of the expectation that you're going to get 
a new story, a brand new story every year, new characters, uh, uh, new innovations and, and everything. And that's kind of the gold standard for as far as content. I mean, you can debate uh, what is the best sports game, but NBA 2K probably has the most content, pure content, different types of ways to play, diff- different number of features. And they do that on a yearly basis. And so I think consumers would probably look at if they did that and say, FIFA, why would you not advance this to the next year? You got you started and you did, okay, Premier League, that's great. There's a whole lot lot of soccer around the world that doesn't revolve around Premier League. So it would be interesting if they did the national teams. Yeah. Yeah. Or um, had it where you were playing in like the Bundesliga or something. I think that's less likely because it's so Premier League centric, but yeah, but there there are a number of options, and I would think that they would want to do that again. Like like I mentioned earlier, it's it's a great way for them to market. Otherwise, if they have the same thing in there next year, they can't really go out there and say, "All right, now you get to be Alex Hunter." You know, it's just already there. So they'd have to come up with some other big new idea, most likely, because this is FIFA is the the biggest sports game in the world in terms of sales. It's one of the biggest video games period in terms of sales on a yearly basis so um their expectations are naturally high for the series and i think if they if they just kind of gave it up and said all right this is just the basic this is our standard story and you get to play the same thing every year or you ignore it i I think that would be considered a disappointment well you mentioned nba 2k and of course we would be totally remiss if we didn't bring up nba 2k which has been doing this for a few few years now, like mm-hmm. for uh, for a number of years, last generation, their kind of career mode was seen as kind of the gold standard. But they they really upped the ante with this generation mm-hmm. by actually introducing a story. And each year, they've kind of done a different thing, right? Like, so the first year was just like your rise to the top. You had like a rival and everything. And then the next year, you were the undrafted free agent, Mm -hmm. and you were trying to break into the league and change everybody. And the year after that, they had Spike Lee, and it was a Spike Lee joint. (laughs) Yeah, which had its share of issues, for sure. (laughs) It was a thing. Look, I I appreciate their ambition. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And this year, like, you have a friend who's played by Michael B. Jordan, Mm -hmm. and you two can, like, become, like super like super friends yeah you're like you're like joined at the hip almost and to the point where it unlocks a feature in gameplay that's completely unique yeah um, you can control both and like do alley oops and yeah, stuff it's pretty that's cool what i did i just i just took control of the uh, of michael b jordan's character and threw myself alley oops which is you know that sounds really probably foreign to a lot of people who don't understand what's going on. But yeah, I mean, it, they've got, the, once again, as I talked about, they've got so many different ideas uh, every year. Something new. So where FIFA is like a much more traditional kind of story, um, the, the my career in NBA 2K, I feel like, for one thing, it's meant to be like all-encompassing, right? It is the career mode that you're playing in. Mm-hmm. Um you're creating this avatar who appears throughout the game in like many different different contexts and you can do like so much more than you can in FIFA yeah. uh like for example in NBA 2K you can say uh sign with different teams mm-hmm. um you can kind of control your character's destiny as they steadily grow you're like tr- um you're 
you, you're having sponsorships so you can make more and more money. Yeah. You can make friends with uh, other characters in the league, right? Mm-hmm. And have them come into your floor and play one-on-one. You and have, you, like, <laughs> your own little practice court that you're, you're steadily improving. Yeah, I was going to say, you can, you can decide to miss a practice and have your coach chide you. For, oh, that uh, definitely happened, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. There, and it even has grinding. Oh. <laughs> so much grinding. Yeah, that's one <laughs> grinding of Grinding XP. Uh, that's one of, uh, yeah, gr- the grind and also just the... Uh, What's necessary to, to, we talked about in FIFA, upping your ratings and, and gaining skills and stuff. What's necessary to do that in NBA 2K is to grind through practice after practice and drill after drill. You can't simulate them, right? In FIFA, you can, you can simulate them at a certain point. But there's a, a much more intense level of role-playing in NBA 2K in, in the sense that, so for example, a couple of years ago, one moment that really stood out to me was I played through my first year successfully. I was on the Detroit Pistons and I was getting ready to sign with a, a new team. Like I was deciding, will I stay with the Pistons or will I go to the Knicks? And like Andre Drummond's like, no, no, don't go, man. Like stay on the Detroit Pistons and uh-huh. we're going to be awesome. Uh, Is that except- the very, very terrible voice acting year? Oh, so bad. But it was so great. <laughs> I-, I loved it. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh man, should I stay on the Pistons? No, I'm going to the Knicks. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a good like role-playing moment, right? Yeah. Where like I actually had to give some pause because Andre Drummond really was counting on me. He was yeah. counting on me to stay <laughs> with the Detroit Pistons. It's Can't let Andre Drummond down. Yeah, it's the emotional ties, right? They're trying yes. to create in the in both in any type of story mode, in any type of career mode, they want you to feel that. They want you to feel like, okay, I'm actually a part of this, and I'm actually in a world that's uh, alive around me, not just my character. There's other stuff going on. There's other people impacted by what I do. Yeah, and they introduced, um, well, they introduced like skill badges, like abilities that you uh-huh. can actually unlock, um, which is pretty cool, so that you can essentially unlock special moves for your character like super moves so that they become that more much more powerful uh when they're dribbling or they're shooting or what have you uh doing layups and all that so so that is pretty cool but there is one thing that i hope that rpgs never adopt from nba 2k um okay tell me i'm curious uh connecting to a server uh (laughs) so that you can have everything stored server side using a in-game currency that can yeah. be purchased. Yeah, that's uh, a design decision that was horrible in NBA 2K14. Uh, everything in the game was tied to servers that were down for, and I'm not exaggerating, there was one point where servers were down for well over a week in the holiday season, so you couldn't actually get on and play anything. Uh, even your off, what's considered you know, quote-unquote offline franchise or anything, you couldn't couldn't do that because uh, everything with their currency tied in the servers. So they backed that up a little bit in recent years. There's a few dedicated offline modes, but for the most part, yeah, several modes, they all say, they all share the same currency. So, um, And that's actually one issue I have with NBA 2K that's different from some others. But, yeah, that's, uh, you know, you can tell that's all about money. And uh, you know, we I don't think any of us uh, think it's... Uh, you know, making money is a bad thing. They, they need to make money or else the games wouldn't exist. But the way in which they do it, it hampers the experience for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but it seems like they're going to kind of stick with that going forward. Because, I mean, it's so 
tightly wound into the design yeah. at this point. I mean, it it affects so many different things. Like it affects pretty much all of the modes in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, some more than others. And, I mean, I'm sure that they make a lot of money from it. If anything, I'm kind of shocked that EA hasn't copied it yet. Well, yeah, I think what happens there is NBA 2K has been so well-regarded, considered one of the best sports games, one of the best video games, period, uh, the last few years, that they could get away with it. Uh, I'm not sure a Madden three years ago could have gotten away with that and really survived uh, with Mm. consumers. Um, So they had a little more leeway to work with. But uh, and now now they've pushed that far out, and there's not really a, a consumer outcry over it because everybody's just kind of used to it. They went so far with 2K14 that when they backed it up just slightly, everyone was like, "Okay, thank you," you know. Um, but yeah, it's it's a, a very currency driven game, and uh, that's that's not unusual for sports games. But the way it uh, the way it affects so many different modes and the way the same currency flows through all those modes and that's one of my major issues with it is that you will make currency in your career in your story mode but that same currency is used in your franchise mode it's the same currency that's used for your character in other modes so you have to decide where you're going to spend that currency are you going to upgrade your character are you going to use it to unlock a certain feature in in the franchise mode are you know there's so many different ways you can spend that currency but um outside of that yeah i mean that is the major flaw but most people have come to accept it all right so as long as sports games are borrowing from other rpgs i feel like we should take this to the logical limit so i i have a few ideas about other features that we have seen in rpgs that should start appearing into sports games are you kind of ready for this all Um, right first one You should be able to marry whoever you want on the team and then have a house and then have kids. So if you want to marry Andre Drummond, uh-huh. like kind of get gay, gay married to Andre Drummond, you're good, right? And then you can go to Tamriel, have your own little house, have lots of little Andre Drummonds running around. I, I think that this could be really good for NBA 2K18. Okay, so so basically the Sims... Look, EA already has The Sims in in their. Uh, no, I'm thinking more like Skyrim. You know, like so you're like go home and you're getting boosts from Andre. It would go really well. <laughs> uh, well, that's a that's an interesting idea. I mean, I I don't know. Have we even had marriage at all in the stories? I don't think we have. We've had break. Uh, we had a girlfriend in NBA yeah. uh, 2K17 who yeah. kind of like appeared sometimes. Yeah, and, and yeah, I think and at other times just disappeared. Um, like most relationships, right? Yes. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's uh, that would be an interesting, interesting element. Uh, yeah, here's a, here's another one. Yeah, Renegade and Paragon. All right, so you can be like either really good or really, really evil. Well, I mean, so essentially, and then you get signed by the New England Patriots. <laughs> yeah, you can fit right in with Belichick. Uh, that you know, there are already a, a sense of that in some ways, like we talked with the. Uh, uh, the the conversation systems, right? And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think yeah, I, this was not something the leagues would probably allow, right? Because they no, don't want no. these images of players. Again, <laughs> they're very sensitive to image of the league and image of the players. And the, the players associations are, are very sensitive to that stuff too. But yeah, I mean, you remember uh, back with NCAA football in their uh, career modes uh, back about 10 years ago, you could get suspended 
you if your your grades weren't kept up your grades you know your current grades uh um, so there and, and you know eventually NCA is like no we don't want suspensions in the game but you know there are so many vile acts that go on that are committed or and there's so many good players in the world that people are are happy to celebrate that you would like to see maybe some kind of uh balance there between you know attitudes and egos and motive you know motivations and cheating and stuff like that and you only really ever see that in unlicensed stuff PED plus five strength. Well, we had that if you uh, blitz the league where you could inject your player <laughs> with stuff uh, literally like during the game. Uh, Deflate the balls uh, plus yeah. five accuracy. Yeah, this is this is all stuff that would work in an arcade unlicensed game. That's the only place it would ever happen. <laughs> all right, last one. Super moves. We need limit breaks. Yeah. Start uh, like like literally starting on fire. Actually. Uh, have you ever heard of uh, Captain Tsubasa and like Prince of Tennis and those games? Uh, vaguely. Yeah, uh, they were Prince uh, Captain Tsubasa was a soccer sim on the Super Nintendo back in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, fairly famous manga, and you could actually activate super moves like the Tiger Shot. Um, that would be uh-huh. <clears throat> that would have an excellent chance of scoring and. Uh, did you actually ever actually did you ever play Final Fantasy X? No, no. Oh, you, uh, they had an entire sports game in Final Fantasy X, Brian. I apologize. Uh, it was called um, Blitzball. Mm-hmm. It was underwater, and you would actually like swim around, right? And but it was like underwater soccer. It was three D underwater soccer, mm-hmm. and you could go around. Uh, you could go around the whole world, and you could recruit Blitzball players. And put them on your team. You were actually building a team, like franchise mode, right? Wow, yeah. And you were looking at their stats and everything. It was incredible. And you could learn special moves. And the main character, Titus, had the jet shot, which uh, once you mastered it, you could, if you got in close enough, you could bounce the ball off like two defenders and then it would like bounce into the goal automatically and you would mm-hmm. get a goal. It was so broken. It was great. I loved it. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes the broken stuff is the most memorable, um, and that's you know we we don't have those kind of experiences for the most part. I mean, there's so few no. few uh, arcadey games that that we have these days. I mean, there's a few coming back from independent developers who are doing interesting things, but um, yeah, that that used to be a bridge to these like really super simulation hardcore. Sports games, there used to be a bridge of these arcadey games where you had special power-ups, special moves. You did stuff that's really not physically possible. Um, they were just fun, about being, about fun. And you don't really see that anymore. And people used to, at least the, this is definitely the case with me and, and a lot of people, uh, when they're younger, they can pick up on those games. They start to learn kind of the fundamentals of a sport and then apply it to the more difficult game after that. And that's why we are, we're always talking about accessibility with these sports games. We don't have those kind of moments, those kind of just um, just purely fun uh, experiences that, that like you just described. Yeah, we're a long way from the days of like NHL 94. Uh-huh. Uh, like me, Rocket League probably came the absolute closest to being yep. able to capture that. Have you heard of a game called Pocket Card Jockey? I don't believe so. I have mentioned it on this uh, on podcasts or this a few times it's a horse racing game Mm -hmm. um 
And it actually incorporates some of what we're talking about. It has like kind of like super moves where the 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 horse will like power up and get like really strong and that it, it was developed by the same people who did Pokemon actually. And uh, I I won't get too far into it except that you do the various phases of the horse racing by playing solitaire and mm-hmm. it works a lot better than you think and believe it or not it is a much more serious sim than you actually think because it goes out of its way to like kind of be accurate to how to all yeah. of the different horse traits, all of the different races. Like you learn the terminology of mm-hmm. horse, horse racing, like the stalking and like the the leading, and you're like going, whoever made these game, they are really really into horse racing, <laughs> but yeah. they have incorporated all of these wonderful goofy like fourth wall breaking humor and power-ups and super moves it's really remarkable and i cannot recommend it enough brian yeah it's that's a great way to get people interested or engaged with something that they normally wouldn't otherwise right horse racing is not something that you look at and say well there's a natural video game for me Mm -hmm. i think for most people probably wouldn't wouldn't think that way and so yeah you need those kind of hooks you need you need something that's different about it that you can say, well, you know, we're still based in reality. We're still uh, respecting certain aspects of the sport, and and um, but you know, we're going to give you something that's just a little more fun, a little more off the wall. And I think that's uh, that's a smart way to approach it. So at this point, fair to say that NBA Two K is the most RPG ish of uh, sports games that you're going to find. Yeah, yeah, I think NBA Two K is, and again, it's it's. One of the most difficult games to learn, but thankfully, that story mode, that career mode, um, is probably the most accommodating way to play the game. Mm-hmm. It's just again, like you said, it is very much of a grind. Uh, but but that's you know, if I were to say, if someone were to ask me, I haven't played you know, I haven't played NBA 2K before. What should I do when I'm first going in there? I'd say you want to play the story mode because you'll learn stuff through that, and you'll. Uh, you'll enjoy it in the process because tutorials and things like that, just not, not really satisfying for most people. Uh, but there's a lot you can get out of the story mode, uh, RPG wise, or, or just, just sitting back and kind of enjoying the ride as you go. Yeah. It has a lot of really organic, uh, kind of role-playing moments. Um, for example, the way you kind of get to know your friend is that you go to practice because mm-hmm. he's a practice fiend. Yeah. But like, if you just keep skipping practice, right, you're not going to really build up your friendship with him. Yeah. Um, and, and there are a lot of other just like little moments like that that are kind of dependent on your decisions. It's not like a specific story point where the game will pause and go, decide now what your destiny of your character is going to be no no offense to fifa or anything i just i find the kind of choices like oh are you going to go to your like sponsorship thing today or are you going to go hang out with um boogie cousins make (laughs) your decision Uh, whatever i mean both are fine yeah (laughs) yeah you're gonna get fans or you're gonna get respect Mm -hmm. um it's yeah, there there are decisions. I mean, there's no real like branching storylines, right? So this it's still a a linear kind of story, a little linear kind of path that you go down. But but your character within that, you have a lot of control over how they develop, what they become, and how those relationships uh, culti- are cultivated with 
with everyone else you're dealing with, your coach, your, your teammates, the fans, uh, your agent. There, there's a lot of different things you're kind of juggling in that mode. And mm-hmm. uh, that, that keeps you busy, for sure. Yeah, that's really good. All right, last question. Uh, is this the future for sports games, or is just FIFA and NBA 2K doing what they do and being leaders in the genre? Yeah, I, I don't know if I would say it's the future, but it's definitely a trend. And I think you're going to see these type of modes become a staple of sports games. And it's not... I don't know if they're going to be the front and center forever, right? They're, the next few years, I think that's definitely going to be the case. You're going to probably see it in Madden. You're probably going to see it in NHL eventually. Yeah. Uh, baseball seems like a natural one for it, too. It's just baseball's about it. harder. Baseball, uh, yeah. I mean, that that is a tough one. It's because that baseball in itself is a grind, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but it can also be a quicker experience if you limit it to just your at bats or just your pitches yes. or, or whatever it might be. So there's there's different ways they can get around that. But yeah, I think uh, I think it's at at the very least a trend, and it's it's a popular one for a number of reasons, uh, and it's it's engaging to people, and it's intriguing in ways that the other modes aren't necessarily so i think you know in a few years there may be something new you know it's been ultimate team for several years now now it's kind of these stories that 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 uh, complement everything else in the game and i think that that's probably the right way to put it i think the story modes and, and the rpg elements really complement the base of the game uh it, it the best way that that any particular mode could right now and so yeah i think you know, I don't know about future, but I definitely think it's a strong trend. Yeah, I think EA is watching how this this new mode does in FIFA very closely. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that with FIFA, they have found kind of what they want to do with it, which is to have sort of almost a Call of Duty-like campaign mode that's going to last yeah. you about 10 to 15 hours uh, like encapsulates the game nicely, lets you grow your character, has a defined beginning, middle, and end with some choices that you get to make. And then when you're done, you're done, and you can move on to Ultimate Team, yeah. which is where they really want you to go. Yeah, and, and as I remember, you know, Fight Night Champion was also another one where... Oh, yeah, that was largely, a great example. Yeah, largely driven by the story. That was like the central thing in the game. But then after that, yeah, you can go play online. You can do any number of things. But you're right. That's a great great point you just made, which is these story modes can bring in people that maybe otherwise wouldn't have played the game. And that's great for them because in order to make money off of consumers post-release with digital content, with digital purchases, they need to have the game first. And that's why free-to-play is so popular on mobile because people can get into the games where these publishers where the developers they can make the money but they need the people there first so as long as there's something compelling about the products uh to get people in to where they can later spend money i mean that's where the investments for for ea for 2k for whoever it might be that has to go now is we have to find something that's compelling that we can market and that people are going to enjoy and it doesn't necessarily have have to last nine months uh, or until the next game arrives. It just has to give people enough reason to want the game, to play the game, to get hooked on the game, and then to spend on the game. And lastly, uh, well, as I've always said, I am both an RPG nerd and a sports fan. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that goes hand in hand. 
an appreciation for stats, an appreciation for watching a team or a character go from kind of zero to the best that there is. And now the story modes just add an extra element to that. So like these two things are, they occupied a very similar place in my heart. And Brian, you should play more RPGs. Yeah, if I had the time, I might do that. Uh, yeah, time. That's, that's the funny thing about these sports games. Very time consuming. They, oh, if you want to have any success in them, yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, it's not just about you have to spend the time to learn them. You have to spend the time to then uh, excel at them. And then it's just, it's for a single game in most of these sports games, just to play a single game, it's anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour. Yep. So it's a huge investment. Plus, they all tend to release at the same time of the year. <laughs> Always. Yeah. All right, Brian, um, you can find, we can find you on Pasta Padre and, of course, the Hit the Pass podcast. Uh, where else can we find you? Uh, I also write for Sporting News and uh, on Twitter, at Pasta Padre, if you'd like to follow me. I appreciate that. You know, it's been awesome coming on, Kat. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Brian, thanks for coming on the show. And we will be right back to wrap everything up. Everybody get up. It's time to slam now. We got a real jam going down. Welcome to the Space Jam. Here's your chance. Do your dance at the Space Jam. All right. All right, and we're back. And this is the end of the episode. Uh, Acts of Blood God is a U.S. Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, all of these wonderful places where you can download RPG podcasts. At some point, I'm going to get onto Spotify, I swear to God. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. You can find Nadia on Twitter at Nadia Oxford. Uh, and check out her blog, Tiny Girl, Tiny Games. Um, yes. Did you write anything interesting this week, Nadia? No, I've been basically, we're getting to that time of the year where we're, uh, everything is um, just games, 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 reviews, reviews, reviews. But I did yep. write something on US Gamer about Undertale, uh, uh, hmm. basically looking back at it a year later and seeing if it holds up. Uh, because, of course, it was just critically acclaimed, acclaimed across the board when it first came out. So is it still critically acclaimed in my eyes? Well, find out. Spoiler it is. <laughs> oh, you ruined it. <laughs> I ruined it. Uh, I I need to finish that game. It's yeah. I definitely need to finish that game. Uh, it, it's good. It was good. What I played of it was good. But... If, if nothing else, even if you're not a, a fan of the game, you got to listen to that soundtrack. Oh, God, yes. It's such a good soundtrack. No, yes. in a lot of respects, it's it's a really, really interesting game. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, thanks uh, thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, go check out Nadia's article on the site. Um, does it hold up? It's a series that we do on a fairly regular basis. I just did XCOM 2. She just did Undertale. We got a Mario Maker 1. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also did Metal Gear Solid 5 at one point. We like yeah. to look back on games like a year later with the benefit of hindsight and just go does it hold up do, do we still like this game like has our opinions kind of changed because i mean games are long right oh yeah they and like your initial impressions like sometimes like with the benefit of hindsight your opinion can change i know that happens to me with sports games all the time so it, it's useful to look back i think mm-hmm. definitely get a fresh perspective you know sometimes things that are happening around you might have affected your review at the time it's just good to clear your head and look back absolutely all right so you can check out also us gamer as a whole on social media facebook twitter uh youtube twitch you know the usuals it's usually it's all us gamer net 
Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure to subscribe uh, to us, rate us, review us, get, say nice things about us because we have fragile egos and we want to. <laughs> we want the validation from our audience. We like to hear from you. We need the hugs. Yes. Uh, so yeah, d- do all of those things. We stream on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and uh, so you can follow our streams. And this is good. I just streamed Persona Five. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find the archive stream up on YouTube, US Gamer Net. All right. Uh, I have no idea what we're going to be talking about next week, but I'm sure that we're going to have plenty of stuff to talk about because we always find stuff to talk about. We do. There's always something going on in the world of RPGs. Thank God. Thank God. I mean, it's been enough that I've been able to continue doing a freaking podcast about RPGs in one way or another for like six years now. Yeah, we're still going. Still going. So we'll be here next week, too. Yes, exactly. All right. For Nadia, Brian Weedai, thanks for coming on the show, Brian, and myself. I've been Cat Bailey, and until next time, happy adventuring. <laughs>